Wow, here we are at the end of series two already. How did that happen? I'm Vogue Williams, your host for Taboo Talk, the podcast brought to you by Boots that ask the taboo health and wellness questions so you don't have to. This week, we're going to recap some of the best, funniest and most informative moments from the six episodes that made up our second series. Now, before we do that, everyone on the Taboo Talk team would like to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners for continuing to support the podcast. It means a lot to know that our frank and funny chats about things that are usually hushed up or ignored strikes a chord with so many of you. We hope that this recap inspires you to seek out any of the episodes you may have missed the first time around. So please sit back, relax and enjoy discovering or rediscovering some of the best bits from Series 2. Chronic pain was the subject of episode one. The brilliant broadcaster and former rugby star Ugo Monnier joined me to discuss how he'd been living with severe back pain for years. But it was actually only after being forced to pull out of Strictly Come Dancing in 2021 that he finally acknowledged how serious it was. Chronic pain affects around two-fifths of the UK population, meaning millions of us are living with pain that's lasted for three months or longer. It can be entirely debilitating, affecting everything from work, exercise and sleep to socialising or sex. Hell, just tying your own shoelaces can be a traumatic event. You go, Sean, a much-needed light on this taboo topic in an episode that was called Pain. You don't have to grin and bear it. Here are some of the best bits. When did you first realise the back pain? Uh, oh, gosh. I had a horrible incident, which was born out of nothing. So we're doing a sprint training session. We're warming up, and I was, I was jogging at, like, 50%, and out of nowhere... I hit the deck and couldn't stand up. And the lads were taking the mick out of me because it looked like, I mean, I fell over in slow motion, <laughs> jogging. And the lads were like, hey, what are you doing? Joey, get up. And so this happened and I had to be carried into a car, put onto a physio table, and I couldn't stand up. So I couldn't walk to the loo and I needed the loo and I couldn't even go home. So I had to go back to a friend's house and I spent three days on his living room floor asleep. I, I had a mop bucket, which was uh, converted into my my portable loo. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, pretty dark times. <laughs> I was 25. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, That's like, a nice pal. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I've got this warped association with pain. I don't remember the last time I played a rugby match like fully fit and not in pain. But there's always something, do you know what I mean? And if I waited to be 100% to play a match, I'd probably play a handful of matches a season. That's just how it is. For us, I think, or as a professional, like a former professional like rugby player, Pushing yourself to the limit is something that I was just so used to doing. Not just myself, but the messaging around me and the environment that, that, that I was in. And I was kind of exporting that mindset into a dance world. But actually, you need to look after yourself to get the best out of yourself. And I'm aware of it. But yeah. when you're just so focused on being everything that you want to be, it, yeah, you just get this real imbalance of doing what's right and doing what you want to do which is, is re- it's just not a healthy mindset i would hate for anyone who's listened to this thinks that's what i need to do i'm saying i could have done things a lot better 
Yeah, I've had this and tried to manage and cope and deal with it for so many years. I got it back better and fixed by the start strictly. But then my first dance was doing the samba and it's like isolated hip movements in your lower back. I have no movement in my lower back. By the way, uh, I mean, you can ask Craig Revel Horwood. He will tell you I have no hip movement as well. Hence why he gave me two threes this season. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like... It's a bit unfair. <laughs> so unfair. I still should be there. I was robbed. I was robbed. You know it. I know it. The country knows it, okay? <laughs> but I'm now like trying to isolate my back and hips for two weeks. And fun enough, like, your back shouts and screams and says, no, I've had enough. But you only ever do it once and you want to go as far as you can go. So what do you do? It's kind of mad, though, that you did so many years of rugby, like, absolutely battering your body and it yes. took strictly before you actually made the decision okay actually I need to take this seriously <laughs> oh no it's mad isn't it episode 2 focused on the perimenopause and menopause and featured TV and radio presenter Lisa Snowden and women's health expert Dr Shazadi Harper Lisa shared her personal experience of perimenopause and the three of us discussed why this totally natural biological process is steeped in stigma. Despite it affecting half of the world's population, listeners learned why it happens, what actually happens and how to help manage the symptoms. I actually found this episode really, really uplifting and I hope that you will too. I think it proved that with the right information and support, menopause can be a positive experience and the start of an exciting time in life. Here are some of the top moments from episode two. And what kind of symptoms would you be looking for for perimenopause? Just like your periods would change, your mood would change? Yeah, your periods would change. And I think, you know, one of the big things that women come and see me about is the fact that they can't sleep or their sleep is disturbed. They get broken sleep. They're not waking up refreshed. Anxiety. Your GP may think of depression rather than perimenopause. But anxiety is a big symptom. Sometimes some women can't drive. They get panic attacks. They feel overwhelmed, not being able to cope as well. Also things like brain fog. You know, they're at work and they can't remember the next word or, or lose track midway through a presentation. And so, like, how many years do you think it took you from feeling really down and not knowing what it was to actually finding out that it was perimenopause? Probably about four, just over four years. And, you know, so that was like me juggling work. I had the brain fog. I didn't trust myself to go to some jobs. I'd lie in bed anxious. I had night sweats. I put on about three stone over that time. Um, And it's really gradual and you're not really changing anything. You're not changing your diet. You're still exercising, but still you just start to get puffy everywhere. And then that obviously plays a huge part in your confidence and your sort of mental well-being. And it's really hard to get a handle on what's going on and you just don't recognize yourself. That's why I'm so passionate about talking about because I just hate the thought of women navigating this time in their lives on their own and feel like and th- th- they think they're going crazy. We think we're going mad. I remember at that same event that I was at with Liz Earl, um, I was there with my husband and he was like, what's the menopause? And I was like, pardon? He didn't know what the menopause was. And this is going, this is two months ago. So he didn't even know what the menopause was at all. And I I couldn't believe it. But like, then he rang one of his friends and he was like, I bet you he doesn't know. And he didn't know. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I we talk about like periods, puberty, pregnancy, all of that in school. Not once did anybody ever mention perimenopause or the menopause. Not once. No. And it affects 51% of the global population. Not only that, but every man knows a woman and it's going to affect them as well. So it affects everybody. And it's just not even, we're never even taught about it. Like in Eastern cultures, it's it's called this the second spring. So this is the the new phase of a woman's life is your second spring, and that is hugely celebrated. This yeah. is a time when you're empowered. You know what you want. You've got a little bit more time on your hands. Maybe your kids have grown up and they've left the nest, and so you can start seeing your girlfriends or travelling or just taking some more ownership of your life. And so it is hugely celebrated there. You are seen as wise, and you're seen. You know, it's almost like you're put on a pedestal. But here, you know, you're not. And not having periods, which I feared for so long because I thought that that made me a woman and I was hanging on to them. Now I don't have them anymore. <laughs> Bloody amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, goodbye. Do you ever worry that a big sneeze or laugh could have unintended consequences? As in, they could genuinely make you wet yourself. Does it seem as though since giving birth, your bladder has a mind of its own? If so, you're definitely not alone. A huge 14 million adults in the UK struggle with bladder control, and yet none of us are talking about it. Well, that is until now. Episode three was all about incontinence and featured the hilarious and candid TV personality Fern McCann, as well as women's physiotherapist Claire Bourne. We discuss what triggers bladder leakage, what you can do about it, and how you can stop it affecting your daily life. We also agreed that one of the worst things about incontinence is the word incontinence. Here are some of the best bits from episode three. I remember when I opened up about it for the first time, I had, for me, when I say it impacted my daily life, it was like the cardio and going for mm -hmm. a run and it kind of progressively got worse over time. But when, when I spoke about it, so many women were DMing me saying, you know, this has affected my relationship and things like that. Because, you know, just to go back to the fact that we all find it really embarrassing. And I think mm. that definitely like just seeing, going to, like you said, going to see your GP or even speaking about it with a friend, because chances are you're experiencing something very similar and it, you're not, like for, for it to, I'm not saying for it to happen to me, but it did and it does happen to me. And, and it's, it's, it's normal. Like it is normal. So yeah. it's definitely worth talking about it. And, and because it can even save your relationship and just daily tasks. Yes. Like I think I was doing a Barry's boot camp class and I had to get off the treadmill and leave the class. And yeah. it always feels more, oh my God, everyone's watching, but no one knows. I mean, in that sort of class, no one knows what's going on. But I think that was the moment that I was like, no, this this isn't normal. And I, I was probably like 27 at the That's time, young. which which is young. And I was like this, uh, for me, yes, incontinence, I did associate with the elderly. I didn't know a lot about it. So I was like, this isn't right. Like I was joking with my friends the other week and uh, you're telling me they're weeing themselves in the middle of a gym class. No, so I think for me, that was the moment. 
Absolutely. I think what's so important is I think um, we often like bookend pelvic health or pelvic floor health for like pregnancy and post. And I always get with women being like, so when can I stop them? Like when, mm. when, when is this over? And really like I describe it like any other part of our health. Like we have to invest in that health. If we stopped exercising, our heart health or our bone health would also be impacted. So we've got to think about it as just like another part of our health, dental health. We've got to look after it. Right. And I think what you've touched on there, Fern, is that we need our pelvic floor to be fit for purpose. So it might be great that we can do our squeezes we can do them sitting but I'm a really big fan of like we've got to get women functional so if say you know they're like I can do my squeezes and sitting I can do a few in standing but I'm still struggling with running I'm like okay well how do we get from you being out your pelvic floor working in a standing position to running we need to build in impact gradually and that's what I do with women in clinic is like identify movements that we can do to build challenge that pelvic floor over time sometimes we're just not challenging women enough we're not doing enough as you say though you need to go back and do a bit more and it's sometimes a bit more complicated than just doing pelvic floor squeezes and so that's where the individualization of the program so I think that we could probably help you continue to get better it might just be that we need to I don't know, examine you in standing see what your pelvic floor is doing in standing can we like you talked about jumping jacks often we'll break them down to can we do some bits of that move yeah. and then we'll build up you know so there's there is so it's, it's so complicated but um there is again lots that we can do within that space if we support women right when are you yeah. free babes because <laughs> where are you based because oh, to... i'm in london anytime you're welcome <laughs> give her the tampons she needs the buzzy tampons <laughs> i need the buzzy <laughs> right. tampons in my life you'll get such a fright <laughs> like <"Whoop!" laughs> For episode four, I was joined by Capital Breakfast host Roman Kemp and his father, the actor, director and musician Martin Kemp to talk about male mental health. This was a really in-depth and moving chat in which both Roman and Martin discussed their own mental health struggles, as well as their personal views on the things that can stop men from seeking help. We cover topics including depression, anxiety, traditional notions of masculinity, social media, and also how physical and mental health are connected. I'm really proud that Taboo Talk hosted such a progressive discussion on such an important topic. Before we play the clips, though, I would like to flag up that our conversation did include discussions around suicide and attempted suicide, so please do bear that in mind when choosing whether to listen. Here are some key moments from episode four. you want to be positive about it but you also look at it and you say okay well then that's that's fine but then why from the ages of 10 to 18 suicide is highest rate there's ever been at yeah you know and and then and then when you when you do dig a little bit deeper and you start looking at it what you then start to realize is that and, and it's always kind of been of, of my belief you know and you you know take take my friend joe for an, as an example i believe that after the age of of 16 specifically for lads, they've made a conscious decision as to how much they will open up to friends, family, even health professionals, like, uh, you know, therapists. There's there's like a line. There's there's like a, yeah, I will tell you I'm sad about this, but I'm not going to tell you I'm sad about X, Y, Z. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've got this, like, there's the, there's the, parameter, the parameters get set. And the only reason why is because they don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Right? So the priority for... For me, so Joe's family set up um, Joe's Buddy Line, a, a charity that that helps um, send a, a mental health expert into a, a therapist, psychotherapist, um, go into to schools to help Love kids that. that go through um, trauma. Because I don't know about you, but I think the most traumatic period of your life is school. Yeah. 
you're learning um, social cues, you're learning deadlines, you're learning um, how to keep relationships, like everything, like how to talk and how to be and who you yeah. are as a person turns out from when you're at school. There's a part of my life that I probably wouldn't have gone around shouting about it if I wasn't kind of backed into a corner to, um, which mentally I felt I was because of what happened over the last year. Um, and But all my friends are aware of it, you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. never like, because like, I've always been very open about it, you know, at, this, at the same time. I think, you know, when you say to my dad, like, how does it feel to, to know that your son struggled with things? I think everyone's kids struggle. Every, yeah. every single person that you meet will struggle in their own way, but it's whether or not they want to talk about that. And and that's the nice thing is that once you do talk about it, the options just open up and the problem becomes far smaller. But, yeah. you know, I, I think I feel a lot safer now with Roe because him and his mates, there's about three or four of them that speak about it completely openly. They talk about, they call each other when they have a bad day. They say, mm. how do you feel? They talk about it. And it is the loveliest thing to see and it's it really it's Roman and your old school friends yeah that are still together yeah, yeah. from yeah. when he was like 15 16 and a few of them like when the, certain ones have a bad day they call each other and they, they've got this support system that makes me feel as a dad absolutely brilliant you know yeah. that I know that they can cope together which is really good. I love that as well, but especially with men, I feel like women, like as soon as I'm having a bad day, I blurt it out to loads of people, but with men, yeah. like to hear you do have a group like that is actually really a nice thing to have. You can look at people and I'm sure people look at you and you're, you're so successful, you're so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good looking guy, like you, it would look like well, not you. Not that good looking. He's all right, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sure people look at you and like it must be kind of like opposing lives to you. So, in one sense, everyone thinks you've got it all. Like, sure. how, wh- how could he be like that when actually you kind of have this other side to you as well that people just never knew about, I guess? Sure. But again, at the same time, that, that side is still me. Like, you know, people always say, um, like you know when I do the radio show it's still me like I I, I, it's not like some facade it's just it's energy splitting you know it's like what I was saying before we jumped on here it's like I I think just because of my job you were definitely quieter before we came yeah but I have to learn I have to learn like when to use my energy you know like my my dad said it's like you know I have really big highs so I've got to mellow out before you go to a really real low And, and I think that you can't do that without being honest about who you are. So I guess it was, you know, it's a part of my life that I chose not to give to the general public as a wide just because I just thought it's not really their problem. Yeah. You know, but my close mates have always been very aware that, like, you know, if I'm struggling with something, if my friends ask me, you know, how, how's your day been? And it's been pretty bad and, like, it's over something small, then, you know, men are, men are superbly insecure people. Yeah, and that can, and and sometimes those insecurities can really kill someone in their head, and that's a form of mental health struggle, and they just don't know that. You know, yeah. they, they the the ideology of what they think a depressed person is is far different. It's far more normal, and, and I think that's just men just not really recognizing it. I think a lot of men think that it, oh, depression or you know mental health doesn't affect me, I or I don't really believe in it. It's like it does. It just mm. shows itself in different ways.
I'll hands down buy a drink for anyone that can text three people in their friend group who they presume are doing absolutely fine and use a two okay rule on that person of asking that person if they're okay, having a conversation. Then at the end of that conversation, asking, are you all right again, right? And genuinely trying to prod into them. I guarantee you learn something new out of at least one of those three people that you never knew and you didn't know that they were struggling with. And just you having that conversation with that person will help them. To the people that are struggling, like the only thing I can say is I understand. It, it, like, it's tough. I, c- I can only try to understand. There, there's a lot of things in place if, if you find yourself seriously alone that you can reach out to. And there's always another option. Safe sex was our topic of choice for episode five. Practicing safe sex has a huge impact on the overall health of individuals and communities. Yet the entirety of many people's sexual health education involves a mortified teacher rolling a condom onto a banana at school. In this episode, TV personality Megan Barton Hansen delivered candid advice and reassurance about the subject. A pioneer when it comes to advocating for openness and honesty around sex and sexuality, Megan talked about everything from contraceptive options, lube, STI tests and sex toys to smashing stigmas, debunking myths and the truth behind the phrase knowledge is power. Here are some of episode five's best bits. And I think that's how it's kind of snowballed. I never thought, oh, I'm going to go on a TV show and then come out and speak openly about sex. It's only because I was kind of put down and slut shamed for how sexual I was. Like I was on a show with good looking people for eight weeks and I slept with two people. Now I'm not saying I'm a saint, but I know people, (laughs) especially men that go on lads holidays and will sleep with two people on the first day. So yeah. I don't yeah. think I was that bad. Um, and obviously that was the idea of the show. It's a dating show you're supposed to hook up with people. But because I got such a hard time for that and slut shamed by like media and trolls on Instagram, I just thought, no, I've got to stand up for girls because there's going to be so many girls like me that openly enjoy sex. And why should we be put down when men can get off scot-free and if anything applauded for that whole lad mentality and oh my God, look, he's such a player. He can get who he wants. What a ladies man. But I think the most sexy and empowering thing is to be confident in the bedroom. And I don't know why, like outside of the bedroom, I can be a bit of an introvert. Like I hate speaking in big groups and I'm a little bit shy. But in the bedroom, I don't know. I've just always been so confident. And I think I'm so stubborn if anyone tried to tell me, oh, no, I'm not going to use that. i like, okay, then I'm going to put my clothes on and head off out. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you just need to remember it's so attractive and powerful to be a strong woman and you should never feel pressure. The whole lube thing, I don't know why there's stigma around that. I guess, like you say, it is because people associate with like women who have gone through the menopause or going through the menopause. But I remember when I first came out of Love Island, there was I posted a video of me and my ex, and there was a bottle of lube in the background, and it was like all <laughs> over the Daily Mail. I was like, oh my God, people are going to think I'm such a dry old woman. But that's not the case at all. It just makes everything more fun, I feel. Our final episode of the series was called Fertility, What I Wish I'd Known and featured Amy Hart, Ollie Locke and Malin Anderson. I think this episode was one of the most powerful and important that we've recorded so far. Amy, Ollie and Malin were incredibly brave in opening up about their own fertility journeys and our discussion covered IVF, surrogacy, egg freezing, perimenopause, miscarriage and the loss of a child. 
It was moving, enlightening and supportive. And perhaps surprisingly, it was also funny. Our three guests managing to find light moments in the often surreal circumstances their fertility journeys have put them in. Here are some key moments from our final episode of Series 2. Please be aware that the clips will include many of the fertility-related topics I've just mentioned, so do bear in mind when choosing whether or not to listen. So, um, yeah, I wanted to go again because as much as I love my boyfriend and I've had this conversation with him, I'm not putting my future in anyone else's hands but myself. Um, And I want to have that backup plan. And we might need to use them together. Would you, how would you feel about being a single parent, though? Um, I feel like I wouldn't be a single parent, though, because I'd have my mum and my dad, my brother and my sister-in-law. Like, I've got so many, like, really amazing close friends. And, I, like, lots of people say that to me. And I said, but I could... With Sam, I know that won't be the case, but I could have met someone who had been a terrible dad and having, you know, taken that one person out and having six or seven people in that place who, um, you know... My mum was literally, like, ready... Like, the reason she won't move out to Spain is because she's like, no, no, I'm going to have grandchildren soon. Like, I need to be ready at home, ready to look after them. Because in our family, like, you know, we we never went to nurse or anything. Our nan had us four days a week, and my mum is ready for that. So, for me, like, it wouldn't be being a single mum, I don't think. Can I borrow your mum until you figure it out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, she will be well up for it. How did you guys like start talking about it? You got married. Was it pretty quick to start talking about it or how did the whole thing come up? Yeah, I think it was rather quick because we knew that the whole process of finding a surrogate and finding the right egg donor is not the easiest thing in the world. And so we started discussing it and very quickly we had a friend down in the West Country who happened to watch a scene of ours on the show and she cried and then DM me saying, I, I think I want to be your surrogate. And that was where we found our surrogate. I know that you're doing the whole process in Cyprus. Is that because of British law? Well, I'll get onto that in a minute. When it comes to surrogacy, so sur- the surrogacy we've got is happening in Britain. Okay. But for anyone in Britain, you have to go through a company, which are generally very expensive. Yeah. Um, because it is illegal to try and uh, advertise to be a surrogate or to try and solicit someone to be a surrogate. It is illegal. It is against the law, which is completely ridiculous. The law hasn't been touched um, for 32 years. So basically, oh, thanks very much. We can now get married, but we're going to make it as hard as you possibly can to have a child, which for me drives me insane. And that's been a journey that ours has has been very, very difficult. So this is, and people do find extraordinary because it is bonkers. In Britain, you are not allowed to see the face of the donor. You're not allowed to see a picture of them as a child. You're not allowed to see a picture of them as an adult. You're not allowed to do anything. So you'll find out their ethnicity, their hair colour, their eye colour, um, what their mother and father have died on, and if they've got any medical uh, problems. That Uh is it. You're not allowed to see a picture. That is fine. If that's the route you want to go down, personally, that's not for us. And we decided we wanted to go through a slightly different channel, uh, which we wanted to find out our entire medical history. We wanted to see exactly what they looked like. We wanted to, if we wanted to, we could have a Zoom with this person to find out what they're like and their charisma, like their their characters and their being, basically, whether they're kind, who knows? Um, In Britain, if you wanted to go through and I didn't see the face, it's £777. That's how much you pay for for a collection of eggs. You're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. In 
America, where we had to speak to an American clinic, um, which is called Elevate in the, in the West um, Coast in uh, Beverly Hills. And they specialize in sort of um, Ivy League and models and uh, all that kind of stuff. We're obviously we're shopping with the models. I did. It's, almost, it's a little bit like Tinder for, for babies in a weird way for eggs. And so you kind of swipe and you're like, no, 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 I don't like her. I don't like her. And you go, oh, yes, she could be. Which was what you would do in real life. If you're yeah, going to procreate, yeah. you probably would do that. So that same situation. And in fact, you do want Tinder. You go, yes, I could procreate with that. Um, uh, can, I, can I just say, can I just say, my, my friend's got a sperm donor and they had an app that was like Tinder that had pictures of all these guys when they were younger. So I can't Stop. believe that you're not allowed to see the face of the egg donor. Not allowed it at all in Britain. It's completely, completely <laughs> illegal. Well, in Copenhagen, if you want sperm as well, and I mean, I went to Copenhagen and they are all stunning over there. It wouldn't yeah. matter if you saw a picture or not, but like you do go in and like it, it's such young people doing it as well. But it's nice. To, I think what's important as well and looks are really important to some people yeah. but I think as well like you said about the medical history and everything like that that's super important to know that to know Absolutely. somebody's background and you want to is, I want to see the video of them I want to see their I want to see if they're kind I want to see if they're lovely people I want to see why they're doing how this hot is it is for she? money how hot is she Absolutely <laughs> yeah. that is important as well I've got a dodgy side of the family that don't look great I've managed to come out alright so I, I want to give them the best best luck they possibly can And Ollie, obviously you went through a completely different experience, but yours is a different fertility journey to other people's. How did you find your experience? Jizzing in a cup or... I mean, that, that was my How was jizzing really. in a cup? That was... I tell you what, actually, very weird experience, I must admit, because everyone knows you're going for a wank, which is very strange. You're in the clinic and you're, you don't really know what to do. And also so all you just have to go into a little room. I, I will show you photos afterwards about what the room looked like as well, because I had weird... Japanese anime porn as huh? wallpaper and I was like this is the least sexy thing I've ever seen in my entire life and I was like but I more than anything I was like I've got to create content and I was like not of that obviously but I was like this is hilarious this whole situation's amazing and I was like this is my friends are going to die this is absolutely amazing um, the anime porn the little cup the, the condom on the remote so that you can pull that off kind of oh. thing and put it in the bin so that people don't imagine swapping hands with the remote if you're going to watch porn not great um, so anyway all of that kind of stuff was fairly revolting um, but that was <laughs> that was my experience about having a work um, but no mine is a lot less invasive um, probably as pleasurable I must admit it's pretty much the most uncomfortable thing in the entire world where everyone waits for you um, but yes when it comes to that side it was things, quicker you were Gareth um, I didn't I didn't time if I'm honest I, I spent most of time did you have time. to just go at the same time it was something like that yeah I'm glad that you can make jokes out of, out of all this because yeah. like it is a really hard journey How did you work around helping others when you were going through such a hard time yourself? It just made you feel slightly better to be helping other people? Yeah, it gave me a purpose. And I think I lacked purpose for a very, very long time. Um, I never knew what I wanted to, wanted to do when I was younger. I went on Love Island. Fours load of shit. Uh, I didn't have a... I just did what everyone else did when I came off the show. Didn't have my own kind of way of thinking you know, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. When my mum died, I was like, okay, now I need to grow up a little bit. You know, the money stops coming in. You don't, you don't do anything. The work dries up. And then you think, okay, what am I actually going to do with my life? 
And when I became pregnant, it gave me that bit of a kind of purpose, I guess, but bit with the family thing. And I thought maybe I need to have a family. But I always knew deep down I wanted to do something more than that. I wanted to speak and raise awareness on things that no one really wanted to talk about. So when she passed away, something just clicked in my brain. And I was like, okay, I can either lie here in bed and mope and have that victim mentality, or I can get up and I can do something now and I can serve like this purpose that I want to do. And it just, everything just aligned and fell into place. But it's really difficult to go through your fertility journey. And I'm sure there's loads of people yeah. who've, who've gone through a journey like that and then they feel ungrateful because they just feel so crap when they're pregnant. But it's just kind of everything is a process. Well, I get that. They're it. like, oh, you should be great. You know, I've had some people, like, you should be really happy or pregnant. I'm like, shut the f- up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. I feel like crap. <laughs> you know, like, hell. Like, <laughs> I know, you're allowed to feel the way you feel. <laughs> and it is hard. Yeah. So a lot of stuff has just come through me, things that have happened to me and, you know, longing for my mum and stuff like that, um, PTSD and whatnot. And I think, so I've had time to sit with my mind and that's, that's when the healing happens, you know. And that is a wrap. We've come to the end of our Series 2 Best Bits Roundups. I hope that you enjoyed discovering or rediscovering some of the top moments from our last six episodes. Thank you so much again for supporting Taboo Talk by Boots. I absolutely love hosting this podcast and truly believe it's helping to break taboos by providing advice, information and a lot of laughs. If you have found yourself affected by anything that you've heard and would like further information or support, there is a list of resources in this episode's show notes. Also, please watch out for Series 3, which is coming very soon. We have amazing guests joining us to chat about all manner of things that affect everyone, but that no one's talking about. Here's a sneak peek of what you can expect. You're not only comparing yourself to other people, you're comparing yourself to your last post. Yeah. Someone take this flipping virginity already. (laughs) Like, just throw it in the street. It's it's so bad that men feel like they can't use this language. Feeling like I wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah. And as a boy, obviously, you're not allowed to say that. When I started seeing my boyfriend, I used to literally set my alarm like four in the morning and I'd creep out of my bed, put my concealer on and lay next to him and be like, morning. Oh, no. Yeah. The first time ever in that whole postpartum period, I couldn't wait to get home to see the baby. And it was the first time that I went... That bond's kicking in. That oxytocin that everyone wangs on about is kicking in. And I picked him up and genuinely went, oh, God, I love you. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Taboo Talk on your preferred podcast platform. It really does help spread the word. Thanks again and speak to you soon.